You're listening to the Homegrown Faith Podcast. I'm Joe Clark, and I'm chatting with my fellow pastor and friend, Richard Sweatman, about God, the Bible, and life lived growing our faith in Jesus. This podcast is coming to you from Hunter Bible Church in Newcastle. Hey there, Joe. How are you today? I am well, thank you, Richard. Yeah, very good. Uh, it's great to be chatting with you this Wednesday. Um, yes. Tell us uh, what have you been up to. Well, I've um, <laughs> I've had an interesting moment where I admitted defeat to some cockatoos <laughs> on the weekend. Um, I've never had to do that before, but it was a tension for me, and I decided that defeat was the better part. Well, this of sounds very interesting. <laughs> Tell us the story. <laughs> well, um, a few months ago, I got home. I live in a two-story apartment mm. building, and I looked out onto my balcony, and the flower pots, my geraniums that had been in flower pots hanging on my my mm. balcony were all strewn over the balcony oh, around the floor. And my first thought was highly irrational. I thought, some person has put a ladder against my railing, climbed up, broken all my geraniums, and then climbed back down again. <laughs> That's plausible. <laughs> plausible. Not likely given that they hadn't taken anything else from yeah. my apartment, etc. And, you know, it doesn't really strike me as a high odds yeah. event. But anyway. I discovered that instead it was probably the cockatoos that were in the huge, beautiful tree that's next door to my house. Ah, cockatoos, yeah. (laughs) Makes complete sense, right? So I saved all the different fragments of the geraniums, water propagated them, got them back into pots, grew them from a small pot, put them back into the flower pot, hanging flower pots. And I should have thought, you know what, those cockatoos are just going (laughs) to come back. But I naively didn't think that. I just put them back there. And then on the weekend, I got home, and there's the cockatoo sitting on the railing eating oh, my geraniums. No. That is completely so killed so many of them. Literally yanked them out of the pots, so that they're just sitting on the ground. If they're and did you like get angry and yell at the cockatoo like the crazy person? And- um, I did feel excited by the idea that I could potentially get my water spray and spray <laughs> it, but then I moved through that idea and thought that's just vengeful. Oh. <laughs> But I did decide I wasn't going down the path of getting the, one of those fake plastic owls, though I did Google the yeah, fake I've plastic owl to see if I should, yeah, I should, you know, invest. And then I thought, no, that's going to the next level. I've always been freaked out by those plastic owls. So I'm going to admit defeat and give uh, up on yeah. the geraniums. Man, I, something similar happened to me with growing passion fruit vines in our backyard. <laughs> I was hmm. basically providing a fruit salad for the co- local cockatoos. And, uh, <laughs> it's just not up. worth it. Well, I'm sorry to hear. So do you need to resort to very bitter-tasting plants on your balcony from now on? <laughs> I actually have never loved my balcony mm. plants, so I think I'm just going to sell the pots mm. on Gumtree and yeah. move on. Yeah, no, do it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what have you been up well, to? Well, in contrasting news, I thought I'd give an update on the progress of my native grasses, Joe. Oh, uh, yes. The saga we, continues. We mentioned these they? very early in the podcast, maybe episode three or something. And every now and again, some random person will come up and say, how are your native grasses going, Richard? That's, <laughs> I thought I'd give a little update. And the news is actually very good. Um, I've grown uh, one of the species was something called barbed wire grass, which I was fascinated by. Ooh. I bought that, the little seeds, and grew, germinated them. And, um, you know, they grew up in little seedlings and planted them. And yes. uh, they have gone to um, seed flower or whatever it is for, for grasses. It, it, and they actually wow. look like a strip of barbed wire. I can see why they've got the name. And so um, it's uh, been so great. They've grown up to about, um, you know, 80 centimetres a metre tall, putting out these sort of sculptural barbed wire grasses. 
uh, flower heads and um, the snails don't want anything to do with it. The possums don't leave them alone um, and they're, they're growing fine. It's sort of just what I'd, what I'd hoped for. So I'm, <laughs> I'm living, living the native grass dream on uh, my barbed wire grass. <laughs> so I might even, if I can get myself organised, I'll post something on our, our podcast uh, uh, notes or details, a little photo so people can see. But, yeah. Um, I think we need photos. Yeah. Picture it didn't happen. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged. And uh, so I'm continuing on trying to spot little, pop little uh, native grasses around the place. Yeah. Have you got a next species that you're going to master now that you've sp- mastered the oh, I've got about three grass. or four other species that are around the garden, generally doing okay, which I bought in the one set from this, the internet company. So, um, uh, yeah, but right. they're, they're all huh. lovely, but not maybe the, the barbed wire grass is probably the most spectacular in terms of, uh, to say yeah, that about right. native grasses is probably a reflection on me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the highlight so far. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's very nice. And um, what have you been reading in the well, Bible? Well, I have been reading through Ezekiel um, in my sort of mm. long format kind of reading over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I haven't read Ezekiel for a little while, so I keen to get into it. And I came across something I hadn't noticed before. Uh, do you know how in the end, um, from about chapter 40 onwards, there's a very detailed description of the temple, of the eschatological mm. new temple, measurements and everything? Mm. And I've, I've um, you know, read it out of duty, but I've always been a bit confused about how many, all these details. And uh, I came across 43 verse 10 which gives a reason for these descriptions. Um, it's 43 verse 10. It goes, As for you, son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel so that they may be ashamed of their iniquities. Let them measure its pattern and they will be ashamed of all that they have done. Reveal the design of the temple to them, its layout with its exits and entrances, its complete design along with all its statutes, design specifications and laws, write it down in their sight so that they may observe its complete design and all its statutes and may carry them out. This is the law of the temple. All its surrounding territory on top of the mountain will be especially holy. Yes, this is the law of the temple. And so I'm reading that thinking, wow. oh, wow, that gives a reason for these descriptions. And um mm. That, uh, that somehow this detailed description of a very large temple, a very perfect temple, ideal temple, uh, is supposed to be read and having the effect of making people ashamed of their sins, of their false temple worship, mm. their, um, yeah, their idolatry, all this other stuff I think that's come out in the book so far. And um, mm. so, yeah, my question really is how does a, how does a description of a temple lead to shame? So, yeah, that's what I've been mm. thinking. Even um, verse 11, partway through where it says, write these down before mm. them so they may be faithful to its design mm. and follow its regulations. What does that mean? Yeah, it's just being, it's being meticulous. It's recording. It's noting mm. things down. Um, mm. Yeah, there's a vibe of perfection and thoroughness there. And just the, perhaps the mm. very act of writing it down and recording it, and maybe you've got a poster of it up on your wall or little models or whatever, um, mm. possibly that perfection, the light of that perfection sh- shines on the darkness of their current religious practices and mm. worship. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I guess bouncing off from that, the questions are how do we read it today? Would it have the same effect if we read it now, taught about it? 
Uh, so as I was mm. reading these descriptions, I was trying to just you know, get that vibe of, of perfect worship and, and um, yeah, seeing if God's work convicted me about my own sin. But, uh, yeah. Did it? Or did it not well, really? Like what not it, massively, what it? but I expect that's my yeah. own stubbornness of heart. But I was at least kind of opening the door for the Word of God to yeah. have that impact on me. To do that work. And yeah. um, I'm not finished the descriptions yet, so there's still time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so, very yeah. interesting, no, that's Richard. Ezekiel. Uh, enjoying that. Yeah. Now, how about you, Joe? What have you been thinking about or reading? Well, um, for many of you who know me, you'll know that I'm single, and um, but not many of you will know that I actually really hate reading books about singleness, <laughs> <laughs> mainly because I just don't really care. Like if there's a book I want to read, it's really rarely about yeah. singleness. It's often more about yeah, other right. topics like suffering or pastoral mm. care or I don't know, any manner of mm. other things. But um, Sam Albury is a British guy who lives in the US now and he has become a leader in communicating about singleness um, and he's written a book called Seven Myths mm. of Singleness. And I thought, okay, I need, to read, I need to read some of these books on singleness because I've always got room to grow on yep. the topic. And so I, I read this book and I quite enjoyed it. There are, it's, a, it's pitched to help people think through um, really the lies that, that, that are just so popular around yeah. singleness that perhaps singleness means no intimacy or singleness means um, that you don't have any family mm. and all these different mm. lies around that. He has these two standout things from the book that I really appreciated. I can't remember where in the book it, it said it, but there was this one moment where he acknowledged something that I really mm. identify with. I enjoy a lot of contentment and singleness and I really quite enjoy my life and would struggle mm. to change uh, and to consider marriage. But at the same time, I can see it's a really good mm. blessing. But he talks in this moment about a sudden moment of bereavement that you can be travelling along in a lot of contentment with singleness and then suddenly, bang, something mm. will happen that's out of the blue and probably not really in any way connected necessarily to a lot of other things you're thinking about in that moment, but you'll be really feel a real grief around yeah, right. your singleness and then you'll have to deal with that and then move on. And it, it can really sneak mm. up on you. And um, that has happened to me occasionally. Maybe once a year yeah, that right. will happen. And I, I appreciated that being named in the book and I've never read that written down anywhere else. So I can't remember where <laughs> in the book it was or can't find the quote. I've tried to go back and find the quote. But the sudden moment yeah. of bereavement he acknowledges I found really helpful. Um, some of his discussion between friendship and family I found a bit con convoluted, but he's got this chapter um, where he talks about the spiritual family mm -hmm. of God. And this is where I thought the book really just, it was, I just yeah. loved it. So I'll just read a little, yeah. little quote. He says, whatever relational cost our discipleship may incur, and that's the discipleship of following Jesus in whatever circumstance, singleness mm. particularly, however much, we fa much family we may lose in the course of following Christ, Jesus is saying that even in this life it will be mm. worth it. Following him means an abundance of spiritual family. Nature may have given us only one mother and one father. The gospel gives us far mm, more. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and, yeah, and he acknowledges the situations of people who, whether they're married or single, have lost family because they followed mm. Jesus. And he talks about uh, the cost of discipleship. But then he also drills down into, oh, the single Christian actually has a spiritual reality of a spiritual family and the spiritual reality of 
parenting other people's yeah. children yeah, yeah. in the Lord. And I just found that I've always thought those things, but I just loved reading the, that, that those segments and it made me lift my eyes to the spiritual family beyond the situation of someone who's single, but just in yeah. general. Um, and made me think, oh, okay, well, how does how am I living that out? And um, yeah, great. Yeah, so it was, so it was good. He's bringing that out from the Bible it. and bringing it out from his personal experience yes. as well. Yeah, um, I can't exactly. No, he does. He does explore his his personal experiences. So, for for instance, he talked about how a couple who are you know his family essentially had a big week coming up, and he offered to do the school mm. run. And they were like, "Oh, we can't ask you to do that." He said, oh, "I'm not. I'm not. You're not asking. I'm offering." And it's actually just part of <laughs> yeah. the family. That's yeah. what we do. And for him, it's quite yeah. a novelty. <laughs> he never yeah. does a school run. And I just thought, "Oh, it's a really simple thing." And it actually has nothing to do with church yeah. life, but is a playing out of the fact that this the that we cross family boundaries in terms of the nuclear Australian family when it comes mm. to Christian family. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think for me it's sustainable to have any kind of like. Um, live in in a family home or anything like that. I know some people would yearn for that, but I don't at yeah. all. I'm happy living in my own yeah. home with quite a clear boundary about that. But um, it definitely got me thinking about expressing spiritual Christian family. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Mm. I tell my MTS trainee to come in round the back entrance when he comes and visits because oh, that's, that's nice. The, the, yeah, visitors come through the front door, but family come around the back door. So it's... Yeah. So, Oh, um, that's nice. Yeah, he I just, like and he, you know, walks through the messy laundry and the, you know, mud and everything happening Normal there. Life. Yeah, so. Yeah. That's, uh, he just, just wanders in. That's <laughs> so good. It's good. <laughs> oh, I like, oh, yeah, I love it when he comes around. So, uh, yeah. Um, that's great. So that's, oh, that's uh, Sam Albury's Seven Myths of Singleness. Um, yes. Yeah, I love his Yeah. Group. I'd recommend it for anyone yeah. to read. It wasn't, it wasn't um, a gripping, a gripping <laughs> tale, you know, but um, I did, I did, I did appreciate yeah. what it was saying. Good on you for reading uh, a book that's a little bit outside of your first preferences. <laughs> I, th <laughs> I you, think Richard. I've got those categories yes. myself in different areas, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what they are uh, at the moment. Yeah. But uh, no, yeah, we appreciate it. Right. Yeah, listening to your yeah. reflections on that one, and I think I read it uh, oh, maybe you. over a year ago, so my memory is a little bit vague now. But um, yeah, yeah I would happily yeah. recommend. Oh, good on you for reading it. Happily recommend it to people. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all we have yeah. time for. What are you heading? So you're going to be reading Ezekiel for a the little rest of the week. bit more time in Ezekiel, and um, yes, various mm. other reading projects and uh, and uh, listening mm. projects. So um, yeah, I'm hoping for a Sounds good, good week, and uh, yeah, looking forward to yeah. talking to you next time. Sounds good. All right, Bye. talk to you then. Bye.